We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a manager who made it all the way to a European final last season was sacked. No, no, calm down. It was Pochettino. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. If I gave you odds that a manager who made it to a European final and lost a European final last season would be sacked, you might not have picked the guy who went to the CL final, but indeed, he has gone. Ding dong, the witch is dead. He'd been eating his feelings for a while, and now the game has eaten him. Pochettino gone from Spurs, uh, replaced by none other than Emperor Palpatine himself, Jose Mourinho, which does a few things for us, namely not putting Mourinho in the frame for our job. We will discuss all of that. We will discuss Granite Xhaka not being able to accept what has happened to him. We will discuss what has happened to him, because that is obviously very important. We'll look ahead to Southampton, a run of four easy winnable games, so we can look forward to somewhere between three and four points coming up. That'll be exciting. And uh, just all the general fun that is Arsenal Football Club right now. A couple of quick notes. This holiday season, we are going to uh, have the return of a, a very special sponsor of ours that you may not have heard of if you're newer to the podcast, but that's right. It's The Enclosed. They're a lingerie company. They have some of the finest... Best, high-quality, affordable lingerie on the planet. And uh, you don't have to walk into a store and touch all the silk and look like a weirdo shopping for your partner or yourself. So uh, you'll be hearing about them coming up. We also have a really fun uh, competition with The Athletic that we're going to run. So if you've been thinking of signing up, next Monday we're going to launch a competition. But suffice it to say, one of the members of this podcast will lose this competition and have to do a karaoke song as the cold open for a podcast around Christmas time. So all that's going to be fun. Uh, What I want to do before I introduce the man you already heard, Paul and Clive, is just say... uh, over on Patreon, we uh, we did a, a Pochettino in-out live show. It was free for everybody, and then the live recording is there. Uh, Clive and I are going to be doing a rewatch maybe tomorrow, but it may get pushed. We'll see, but th- that's coming up. More than anything, I want to thank everybody listening right now. I want to thank everybody uh, who has signed up for Patreon. Um, we have some fun stuff that we're going to be doing there, but most importantly, just I know this hasn't been the most fun season, and there's been a lot of complaining, and I admit, I'll raise my hand, this is me raising my hand in audio format, that I'm guilty of it, but... We really love you for being here. It, it is a wonderful community of people chatting about the Arsenal, not just on the pod, but on social media and in all the various places that we chat with one another. And, and it means a lot to us to have you aboard. So with that having been said, Paul's on Twitter at Pause my Pants. Hello, Paws. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Hello. Tim doing a lot of stuff with the women's game, which is awesome because that's the part of Arsenal that rules right now. So he can't be available today, but he will be available uh, soon. The Southampton game is upcoming. But let's start, Paul, with the, the big news 
European finalist coach sacked. Sadly, not Emery. It was Pochettino. I'm curious, uh, first and foremost, your take on... I want to take this from an Arsenal angle. So, first of all, do you think it's good or bad that he was sacked? But also, do you think his removal, given what he's achieved there, which is the sum total of fuck all, but let's be honest, he's been pretty good for them. Do you think it's good for Arsenal? And do you think it puts any further pressure on the Arsenal hierarchy to act, given that Spurs have made a decisive move with a much longer tenured and more respected manager? Uh, and and if, if that does put pressure on us to do something. Um, so the latter part of it, I think it momentarily puts a spotlight on their slowest slowness to act with their their own issue their own manager but i think that narrative will shift immediately this weekend um as things get busy again so i don't think there's any long lasting impact really from the fact that spurs have made their move at this point um the pressures will be there but they'll they'll just come from the the uh, the general course of football and the results. The results will drive things and the results of our competitors. Um, the uh, I would have much preferred to have Pochettino stick around for the uh, the whole season. I mean, why cha- change a losing formula? I always say. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, things were totally dysfunctional there, and the longer they stuck with that, the better. Um, and then there's the whole Mourinho conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, but, you know, things just weren't good there. And the longer that stew kept stewing, the better. So that would be my my quick take on it. So, uh, I mean, they're going to get a new manager bounce, even if it's Satan or Hitler. Uh, they'll still get one with Mourinho. And then I feel like the, the Satan-Hitler combo is the perfect coaching duo for them, but... You know. Well, I was suggesting now, you know, if they're going to organize things so that everybody we hate is at the one club, mm-hmm. if they could get Hitler, uh, Satan, uh, Boris Johnson and and Trump on the board there. Now, now we're not going to get political. You, you could have just went with something like our blogs, like Phil, Phil Collins could be on the board for them or something like that. Yeah. doesn't move me in the same way. I have okay. to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go so now. anyway, it, it's kind of neat and tidy they're all in the one place we know where to go for our hate um you know that kind of thing yeah well so, so clive i mean i i think what you see when managers get sacked especially at bigger clubs is that the end always looks sort of familiar uh lots of noises coming out of agents coming well not like farts and stuff <laughs> but like you know uh an unsettled fan base results that are flagging players starting to make agitated noises through their you know through their agents and representatives that are leaking out to the press um and and i i think you know whether it was jose at at united or potch at spurs or emery at arsenal you can see a lot of similarities i mean do you look at what happened with potch and the 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 way this season has gone the unrest in the dressing room the performances on the pitch the comments that the manager himself was making and you look at the emery situation and say these look very similar and that that similarity has to be something that is now, you know, even more abundantly clear to the hierarchy at Arsenal. I mean, do you, do you feel that this move by Spurs, especially because it is, I think in some ways, despite the fact that they're parting company with a very successful manager, an ambitious statement that they're not willing to just give up on a season. Is that something that has to be considered at Arsenal in, in terms of whether we're going to do something? All right, there's a lot in there, right? So I think from a Spurs point of view, I think what they've done is a a pretty smart move, right? So Pochettino's been there five and a half years, and in that time, I think they've rebuilt the training ground, they've rebuilt the ground, they have around nearly £700 million worth of debt in the club, and they have, from an infrastructure perspective, they probably have the best infrastructure in, in Europe, full stop, right? Their ground... Particularly, I don't like it from the outside, but from the inside, it's fantastic. Right, so we're talking about a club that's made massive steps forward. They've been in Champions League the last two, three, four years. They've reached a Champions League final. They've got a global visibility that's on the rise. Pochettino's done a lot of that build with leaving the background. I felt they did not do their contracts well. They did not um, pay the players they wanted should have paid earlier. So now I have three or four players waiting for their big contracts and they're not going to sign. So that causes that causes disruption. 
the fact that Ali and Kane have got their money and others haven't, that causes fractions in the dressing room. And those fractions have become, you know, really obvious to everybody. But from a, from a Levy perspective, there's been a long-standing view at Spurs that the club is being fattened up for a sale. I think with the debt on the ground, I don't think Joe Lewis really wants to end up paying for that. I think that'll be part of the sale price. And to keep that sale price high, they need to be in the Champions League or they need to be relevant. So if you lose Pochettino, one of the three bright sparks, although I do feel he's been overrated slightly, and the only reason he's been overrated has been because he's had a number of young English players that were prominent during the World Cup. So the media kept him on side, and Southgate kept him on side. And in England, that's a good thing. You've got English players coming through, so you can do what you like. When you look at their league form this year, I think they've won only six out of the last 24 games. So this has been the post, and they've got some very lucky Champions League wins, which glossed over the whole situation. So from their perspective, they need to be relevant. So who makes you relevant immediately? And that's Mourinho, right? So if you're going to pay up somebody, and you don't have to pay for somebody, from a, from a compensation point of view, Mourinho is the obvious target. He will keep them relevant with his press conferences alone. There was a little <laughs> flash on Twitter today showing the Arsenal press conference with one man and his dog there and the Tottenham press conference with half the Western world there, right? So they will be incredibly relevant and, in, and that's going to push their price up. That's going to keep them in people's minds globally. I mean, Mourinho, whoever you, we think about him, he's probably one of the top five managers in the world from a global impact perspective. He's so, box office. Yeah, that's a better word, Paul. Thank you. And and so Spurs are repositioning themselves. Right? So if you're a player now coming to London, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, which ones feel more attractive to you? Right? It's a it's a it's a it's a debate, isn't it? Depending on the player. But there was a few years ago there was no debate. There was no debate. Right? That debate is there. So that repositioning is something we should not dismiss. And regardless of what happens with Mourinho, there will be talk. And I always want Arsenal to be relevant and to be that place where everyone wants to be. And let's be honest, he doesn't feel like that right now. Mm. It, it really doesn't. There's a, there's a few things to unpack here. So let's dive into the Jose thing. I mean, first of all, I think that it, we forget too easily what his football was like the last time we saw him. Everybody focuses on the way he blows up a dressing room and the way he makes it all about him and the way it all becomes drama and and acrimony and antagonism. But there's also a tactical side of this. And I thought Jose's tactical approach to the football at United was really poor. Low intensity in midfield, low pressure, deep deep defending and you know not particularly effective build-up play like I don't know that there was much there and he was routinely getting out coached tactically towards the end there and I think there's a real question about whether he has a solution for that anymore uh, as modern football has changed to a more up-tempo intensity transition oriented game and I've never seen him really able to institute that I also think Spurs is con- is constructed that squad as built is built to play a more front-footed transitional game. And so it'll be interesting to see, can they can they play another way? Now, I'll, Paul, I'll let you in here in one, one second, absolutely. But the other thing that I want to say about, because Paul is, is fu- furiously typing into the chat <laughs> box that I'm, he I'm wants not, to disagree. I'm, I'm not, I'm but, not, I'm not but, I mean, th- there is certainly no debate that tactically Jose was not good at United at the end. And that whatever we think about the dressing room stuff the tactics report, and one other thing to your point, Clive, about players wanting to come to Spurs, you know, Jose burned a lot of big players at United, at Chelsea, with big super agents, Jorge Mendez and guys like that. You know, Pogba hates him, like hates his fucking guts. And so are agents going to say, yeah, I want to bring my player to Spurs to to go play for a guy who, by, at a minimum by season three, is going to be at war with some of his stars and freezing them out and destroying their careers? Is Our, our younger, bright prospects going to want to go there when he sold off players like De Bruyne and, and Pogba initially, I believe, he got rid of? You know, I mean, there are a lot of young, talented players he had sold when he was at clubs, who those clubs then had to buy back for huge sums later and things like that. So... This is a guy who has shown an inability to develop young talent. 
has sold a lot of young talent that wound up going on to be superstars, that has gone to war with big stars who have big star super agents. I think that can be hard for recruitment for them from a player standpoint. I think tactically the game is beyond him. And and ultimately, for just from a selfish standpoint, like, thank God he's not coming to ours. Like, because that, that would not have been a move that I would have been supportive of. I know there are some people that disagree. Plus, you talk about being a box office. I mean, look, the the possibility that he makes them better. Let me let me just finish with this, Paul, and then I'll, I'll let you know, I promise. There's a possibility he makes them better. There's a possibility anyone would have made them better. Because candidly, when you look at their results and their underlying metrics, Spurs have legitimately been one of the worst teams in England this season. There's no way around it. So anyone coming in could have made them better. But the one thing Jose brings with him that I'm not sure any other manager does is the chance for it to go catastrophically bad, for it to explode in staggering ways. If you go on Spurs Twitter, they're not super happy about this. And so he's already on a little bit of pins and needles with the fans, which could be trouble. So I think, you know, had they made some sort of milk toast appointment, some anodyne appointment, they could have just gotten a little new manager, bounce and been mediocre this season and maybe climb the table. Yes, Jose could make them better, but he's the one appointment that has the potential to really, really crater this thing. So with that, I will yield the floor to you, Paul, to disagree with every statement I have just made. Yeah, I think I do shockingly disagree with every statement you made. And like I'm somebody who assumed uh, Jose Mourinho's next move would be an even bigger dumpster fire than the ones he's left behind him in every spot he's been for the last few clubs. But I'm kind of shocked that this is actually a great fit. Uh, him and Levy know each other, so they know what they're getting into. So why why are they both doing this? I mean, on, on paper you say, well, Spurs doesn't spend enough money. Uh, they don't go big in the market. Uh, Levy doesn't have much truck with managers who want to give him too much shit and speak out of line. Jose wants to, uh, will always bitch about transfers, always gets political, always sticks it to uh, the owner or whoever and starts moaning after whatever. But I think Clive's right here. This is all about box office and positioning uh, Spurs as one of the top clubs, super clubs, uh, lining them up for the the uh, European Super League, keeping in the them as a top four team or looking like a top four team, and Jose still has that somehow miraculously. Uh, the first thing is they will get a new manager bounce because anything but Pochettino right now will have them all breathing a sigh of relief. Secondly, this squad is not the squad that Pochettino had a few years ago in terms of youth, energy, vigor, uh, pressing high up the field. Even under Pochettino, they started kind of moving downfield, uh, controlling more of the game. This is an older team. Harry Kane can't press, and a front line built around Harry Kane is not going to be a team that presses upfield. This is actually a Jose Mourinho 11 when you look at it. Look across the back line. Uh, Alder Verald, uh, Vertonghen, um, he'll have to do something at right back at some stage, of course. Uh, he's got Dyer, Sissoko, etc. in midfield. <laughs> yeah, but Dyer's a yeah, yeah. But hang on, Dyer's a player he wanted to buy. That's a very well, Marine, that, that should be another strike against Mourinho. Yeah, <laughs> but you might terrible. not like him. He he's going to love him. Do you think he's him. any good at football? Uh, I think he's okay. Right. I think he's very much a, in a Mourinho system. I, res- I think Paul, he's good. I respect good. your opinion. This is just a disagreement. It's not that I think, you, you know, I can't say you're wrong. I, I just think Dyer is horrendously bad. But that that's just me. I'm prone okay, to that. Okay, but, I mean, anybody who thinks Mourinho's bad at assessing a player, he, he, his ideas may be a little outdated, but he, he knows what he likes and he knows what he can get out of players. And then he likes a good center forward, a proper center forward, which is kind of um, – moving away from most team where most teams are at, but he knows how to use Harry Kane as an actual out and out center forward and having the energy of son and more up front. Um, and you know, he, he does actually know how to use a number 10 as a creative player in his system. So he, he, from day one, he has an 11 he can work with, which is not what he had at United. Um, the other thing is, Levy went big in the market this summer. He's going to keep 
spending the money. Uh, and the one thing I agreed with everything Clive said, apart from the situation of the wages and the contracts, I think this suits both of them. They can make some changes in the next window. They have players Mourinho can work with, uh, or in the next summer window. They have players Mourinho can work with right now. Um, some of those players may decide they like this setup. Part, there was a lot of fatigue over Pochettino. So will Alderweireld and Ericsson both stay next summer? No, but probably one of them will. Um, and the other thing is the, the wages are so low. That was before the stadium deal was done. Um, that's a beautiful situation to walk into. There, This is now all about the sales. So yeah. he's kept the wages low for a reason. This gives them all sorts of salary cap all sorts of movements in terms of transfers that Mourinho would want. Um, and I think they both, uh, and the idea that uh, Levy doesn't want to work with super agents was true in the past, but Mourinho is connections, the Leal connection with Campos, uh, trying to get him on board already haven't got some of their folks involved. So they get Campos on board or somebody of that ilk. Uh, they start doing deals with with agents Levy wouldn't have talked to in the past because they're now trying to be box office. Yeah, ass- assuming those agents aren't off of Mourinho because of experiences their clients have had. And, the, and Clive, I'll, I'll let you know. But the, the only thing I just want to say in response to that about the wage thing is you have a lot of players at Spurs who are upset about their current pay packets, and now you've just made Mo- Jose one of the highest paid managers in the world and making sure, more than every sure, player Sure, but there's an the easy way to fix that. What, pay your players more? Yeah. Well, sure, if they're willing to do that. They haven't proven they'll do that. All right, so Clive, come on in. There's an inevitability that things were going to change regardless. And and to me, that's what this signals. It's just put more focus and pressure on an issue that is already apparently a disruption for this this club. So, Yeah, they were going to have to make these moves. Yeah, yeah, fine. And look, guys, this is just one of those tired, old moves you expect from a no-creativity club. Like, there's a world of young, exciting coaches out there with really interesting ideas, and they've gone for the guy who's now flamed out at a few places, who is box office for sure, but a car crash in waiting as well. And it just... I'm hopeful that it will go the way it has gone the last few places. Ben, Clive, you've been frozen out too long. Come on on in from the cold. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to say that... Hello. When you make decisions, you hope that you make them from a position of strength. And Spurs have made a decision mid-season from a position of weakness. And they've come up with Jose Mourinho. And they've not only just come up with him, but they bring all of the things that come with him. And I think they don't mind some of those things. It's interesting that you went straight to the football. Your points around the football are are correct. Right? In, in the Manchester United, I, I felt he was um, tactically a little bit yesterday. But that can change with different coaching staff around him, which he seems to be doing. And with also a bit of um, a personal redress of how he He's made those comments, right? He said, I've I've freshened up my ideas. I've had time to, yeah. you know, reevaluate. Guy knows, yeah. I mean, from that side of things, well, fair play to you, mate. You've decided to have a look at yourself, the way you do. You always look for some sort of disruption with certain players to create friction in the dressing room. That's the management style. is no longer the management style of the modern manager. Simple as that. So you would get with a program or you will just blow up. And so I, I do feel there's a bigger game here. I, I, I feel that Spurs are, you know, they're sort of cashing checks they don't really want to pay. And I think someone else will pay for this. He's on 15 million a year. I mean, can you believe that? 15 million a year. And they can't sack him because right. of that. You know what I mean? Like, they've really hitched their wagon to him because they can't pay him 15 fucking million to go away. Well, they must hopefully there's a decent severance there, which is capped, right? But 15 million a year, that is a fork in the road. Now, if Spurs had got Nagelsmann, for example, I would be feeling sick right now. Yep. Because, <laughs> because that is the one, right? Or, or, or somebody like him. Ten Hag, out there. yep. There are others out there that are more hipster than me that can tell me five names that they would like to see at Arsenal from from a you know a modern coaching perspective. Mourinho wouldn't be the choice I would choose, but it doesn't mean I don't understand it. You know, I do always worry about Arsenal's position at the top table, and and I know we've missed them for a couple of weeks, or some of us haven't missed them for a couple of weeks, but I'm always worried about relevancy. That's the thing that I worry about the most, apart from results. And I want us to be more relevant, either by playing good football, 
having a vibe around the club that's really positive, but having a set of players that make people want to come and watch and playing in a certain way. And we are not doing any of that. And everything seems to be happening around us. It's happening at Liverpool. It's happening at City. It's happening at Chelsea. Whether you like it or not, something is happening at Spurs or will be about to unless West Ham come along on Saturday like they love to do and chin them and take them straight out. Things can go up and down very, very quickly. But I, I don't, don't I don't laugh at this, Elliot, put it that way. I do not laugh no. at this. But- you know, we can't sit back there and worry about the love him playing Emmanuel your Matic in midfield and think that's the limit of his ambitions or his talent. That would be disrespectful. I don't laugh at this. He's been to many, many clubs around the world and he's achieved a lot in his career. He may be on the downslide, but they sometimes you need each other. He's on the downslide. He's got a, a club which is local to where he lives and Spurs are looking to reposition themselves. And so the marriage sort of fits and they are a physical team, a big team, the sort of team that suits his profile and... So I don't laugh at this. I want it to go wrong, just like any Arsenal fan would. Okay, few. Let's not let's not let's not <laughs> let's not snigger at this with a small mind and think. Well, that's my special. Okay, <laughs> snigger this with a small I mind. I got that covered. Yeah, we're gonna. It's it's. We remember the final day of the main night after he stole his contract and then just checked it, checked out. Pochettino ran out of energy as well. He signed his contract and checked out after Champions League final. It happens. People burn out at the top top level. And um, I think Mourinho burned out in Manchester United once he didn't get Maguire. He said, I'm not having this. I'll sign his contract and you can pay me up. And that's what he did. That's just business. And I think what Levy's doing is pure business. Yeah. Then the question becomes, is it good football? And I, I think, look, I always try to think range of outcomes, right? Because I think you never know how something's going to work out. So you try to establish what the range of outcomes are. I think they made some interesting moves in the summer and they could have appointed a young up and coming coach with some interesting tactical ideas and said, we're going to start to shift who we are on the pitch towards this guy's viewpoint, utilizing some of the new players that we have and recognizing that guys like Erickson and Alderville and whatever, however you say the fucking name and, and, you know, Rose and all those guys are, are going for Tongan, probably going, you know, all of these guys that we have to replace. There may be an issue with Deli Alley. There may be an issue with Kane. So we'll start to reshape. Instead, you've gone for a guy who only accepts winning now, isn't there for a project, isn't there to, you know, tactically rebuild the squad. You've paid him a massive amount of money. You're now hitching your wagon to him. And so when I look at range of outcomes, he could make them better. As I indicated earlier in the pod, they've been so bad that that one of the obvious outcomes is that they just get better. Maybe substantially so, just by we removing saying, Pochettino. We keep saying so bad, but, but are, they, are they just three points behind us? Yeah, well, yeah, but Clive, I mean... We're bad. And the other thing is, like, they're on a very low point total, but it's not just that. Their underlying metrics are really bad. So it's not like they've been unlucky or anything. But here, here's my okay. point. Okay. Um, the range of outcomes, the one thing that Jose brings into the frame that excites me is the doomsday scenario. The cratering, the the implosion, the at war with his star players, at war with his fans. I mean, Jose brings a, a range of outcomes into play that very few coaches do. And... It may not go that way. I fully acknowledge it, but but I would be excited by that. You know what I did? I did not miss him being away from the game as a coach. I didn't miss the the vitriol, the poisonous attitude, the constantly being at war with everyone, the sniping, the the just the grotty behavior. And I have to admit, look, football is fun because it's about pantomimes, and it's about tribalism, and it's about big emotions. But his is so so poisonous that I just didn't miss it. What I will say is, if they had to pick a guy to go there, who I was going to hate. This is it. Because Pochettino, for as much as I couldn't stand them and couldn't stand his football and didn't like him, there was a way you could kind of get around to sort of admiring him. I will have no problem hating Jose at Spurs and hoping he fails. So here's to that. We should really wind this conversation around Arsenal. Um, I, I think we sort of touched on all the issues that it means for us. I just, I look at it and I say, maybe they made these decisions as you indicate, Clive, for business reasons. But we talk about the kinds of noises that come out of a club that point to dysfunction and a lot of times they come from fans and sometimes they come from players and there's a lot of that happening with players right now let's start Paul with Lucas Torreira we've heard from his representatives but now we've heard from him apparently speaking while he was away with Uruguay where he played very well in his preferred position um he said now Arsenal needs me to be focused I can't start talking about another team I need to be focused and when the transfer window arrives we will see what happens 
That's a big claim. That's not two summers from now or next summer. That's like a month and a couple weeks from now. That is that is the statement of a player who is definitely thinking about his future. And I'm curious for you, how much of this you put on Emery and how he has used him, how much you put on it just being a lack of comfort transitioning to England and the weather and the Premier League and whatnot. I mean, I think we've evaluated Torreira weirdly because he was excellent in the first half of last season. He sort of struggled down the stretch last season, which basically every player at Arsenal did. Playing mostly out of position this season and not playing all the time, I don't think he's ever been bad where you're just like, oof, he's he's the problem. How do you see this shaking out and how, how big a loss would it be in your mind if he does move on? Um, Well, the loss part of it is conditioned by the fact that, as you say, we haven't seen him at his best since uh, maybe the first half of the season, of the first season. So... I've kind of been discounting him somewhat in my valuation in my mind, and it's that's really just a function of how he's been used. So um, I I still tend to believe this is a valuable player who should be competing for a, 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 a start in our 11, whatever our squad looks like next year and whoever the manager is. I do think all of this is down to how he's been used by Emery and that I'm not totally wigged out by this, because the bigger issue is, when are we going to fix the Emery problem? And uh, Torreira is about the size of a canary, and he's the canary in the mine here, which is, <laughs> he's the first guy saying, uh, if you guys don't fix things uh, here, uh, you know, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be off, and I'm going to be pushing to be off. <clears throat> I don't think he's going anywhere till uh, Raul and Edu want him to go anywhere. Uh, he's on a long-term contract. I'm guessing it was five years when we got him, so that means he's one and a half years into it. He ain't going anywhere. We don't want him to go unless he's willing to be a total douche uh, in the media. And he he has been somewhat vociferous, which surprised me a little bit with him, but it's still fairly clean. I mean, he's not saying anything unpleasant. He's just saying he's not super happy how he's been used. And he has a point. I mean, who can disagree with him? So... Uh, fix the Emery problem, use him the way he should be used by a manager, um, and I think he becomes a much happier chap. And we say to him, hey, give it 12 months under new manager, exciting setup who gets you and knows how to use him. And if the new manager doesn't know how to use him, then I guess that's no loss either way at the end of the day. He'll hold his value and we'll sell him and we'll get the player that that new manager wants. But this is really all about Emery, how Emery uses him. And the fix is when we fix the Emery situation, when we bring in the manager that needs to take us forward and needs to have a, a plan that the players can get a, a philosophy, a style, a system or set of systems that works for players and uses the players we have in the positions they need to be used, then I think this problem gets solved pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, if he really, really wants to go back to Italy... So be it. But I think that's somewhat unlikely. I think to, uh, a happy player uh, is, is happy within the club, and, and he's just not been used right. It's just, to me, it is such an invalidation of Emery in some ways because it's such an important part of our squad-building approach. We had to turn over a squad. We decided to let Ramsey go. And you can argue that that was the right call, given that, again, he's struggling with injury and he wanted a lot of money, and we're fine, whatever, move on from that. The point is, like... We bought a 22-year-old central midfielder with defensive instincts who likes to shield a back line. We bought him right as he was starting to really ascend in his club career and his and his national, you know, international career. Part of this rebuild, this turning over of the squad. You combine that with Ganduzi, who looks like a very, very bright superstar for the future, who's going to take some time to develop, and you say, there's your double pivot for the future. That's an anchor for a midfield that we can build around. We need maybe one more athlete in the midfield, someone who's more of a box-to-box, -box, modern kind of 10-style player. Let's develop that guy. You know, maybe it's Joe Willick. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's a young player at the club. Maybe it's someone we have to go out and get fine. But, like, you start to lose a player like that, and now you're saying Shaq is gone, Torreira is gone, we have a kid in Ganduzi. We have a kid in Joe Willock. Ceballos is a loney who's out for a month who's probably not going to make it at Arsenal, so that's gone. There's no midfield. There's nothing. You're starting over. And it, it, it invalidates part of that important step that we took in the squad building process almost entirely because you have a coach who refused to use the player in the way that he was envisioned to be used when he was acquired. 
So, yeah. Clive, I mean... I, I, yeah. And just leading into Clive's, I mean, Torreira wasn't the player that Emery wanted. Apparently, it was Benega, a bigger, lumpier player, and maybe a little bit more like Chaka in, in physicality, and maybe he has that Mourinho bias in terms of what he likes that holding player to look like. Maybe, Sorry, and that, that's totally fair. I, but I do think that Emery took the job knowing that his role was head coach, not manager. And I think sure. part of being willing to take that job is being willing to use the pieces you are given. And I don't know that Emery has done that with Terrier. So, Clive, how critical could this be in terms of re- retarding our progress um, in squad rebuilding and development? And, and how much of this concerns you vis-a-vis Emery? I think um, when you are the head coach, you maybe don't have the final say on certain players. And someone like Torreira is a classic. We're going to park you for two, three years and then sell you uh, for 20 million extra euros on top. right? So, And I think if Emery didn't want that player, um, and this, this, is, this, is super, you know, this is just us guessing, right? The only way you can really fight back is by almost misusing the player. That's the only way, because you're not involved in the financials, you're not involved in the wages, you're not involved in the contract length, but you are involved in how they play and where they play. If you want to make a point about what a player can and can't do, play in the position that doesn't really work for him. It's the only way a coach can fight back. Personally, I, I really like Torreira. I like his what he brings from a profile point of view, but I also know that type of player can be replaced really, really quickly. This isn't a problem. This isn't a Mustafi issue where you've got a player you bought for 35 million and you'll be lucky if you get 20 million for him. So I don't feel worried about that because we'll get our money back and more. He looks as though from last summer, it surprised me last summer when there were rumblings. That was a, uh, I'm not sure I made the right decision. I could have gone to Napoli. I chose Arsenal. I'm not finding it easy here. It's obviously he hasn't really settled massively. If you ever look at, as soon as he gets to international break, he's back home with his family every single point he can possibly get back. So we have a player that's not really settling. Let's be honest about that. We sort of know that. Whether Emery plays in his best position or not, he is not here for long term. So if I'm the club now, I am looking for a, another player that can do a job. I, am, I will personally, like a a more physical player, a taller, leggier player that suits the Premier League a lot more. And um, that's what I would do. So I'm not worried about that, but I think we need two of those type of players, if I'm honest. So um, just to give us some stature in the centre of the pitch and some speed and some and athleticism. So I just think we've missed that for years. Why are we con- Why are we just continuing to have players that don't actually do all of the jobs we need to be done in those central areas? So if Torreira goes, it's unfortunate. Um, if I had a choice, Torreira or Granduzzi to go, it would be Torreira. I think Granduzzi's ceiling is is massive. I think he has something about his personality which is linked to the club, which I like. But I would like to see Arsenal turn it around. And when Torreira, if Torreira does go or Shaka does go, we can only stomach that if the replacements are better. If they're better, we move on very, very, very quickly. And that's just the nature of the football fan. Mm, yeah, and, and by the way, again, I mean, it, for me, it is not just about whether I like the player and, you know, do I think he's great or not? I think it is very hard to evaluate any player in the in the Emory environment. Um, but, but it is a question of how a club plans to build its squad going forward. And when you buy a 22-year-old central midfielder from, you know, for a reasonable fee from a an Italian club that's, you know, a, a decent club that in, he's on the, in the ascendancy of his career at that moment and doing well at club level and doing well at international level. And by the way, still doing well at international level for you know, a, a legit international side, by the way, Uruguay is a good team. Like, I think that is part of a, a strategic approach to rebuilding the squad. And when you lay out those plans, they are multi-year plans. And so when one of those key pieces fails and fails because of the deployment by the coach, that is a major problem. And for me, if I were Raul, which, you know, thank God for everybody I'm not, and I don't have the voice for it, um, you know, I, I, that would be a big strike in, in that column. But... Paul, there's another big strike, and that is the one that our uh, Capitan, or former Capitan, Granit Xhaka is going on. Let's talk about Xhaka, and let's read the comments first. I have a clear idea as to how things should proceed, and Arsenal know this as well. Although I still have a contract with them, I will be glad to return to the club so we can finally sort matters out. There will surely be a solution, as I can't accept what has happened with me. Defiant, to say the least. 
uh, certainly fits with his hot-headed personality. This is a player who very clearly sees himself as the victim, victimized by his fans, victimized by his coach, victimized by his club, cannot tolerate the victimization that he has suffered and needs to be given a move away from this club that has done so wrong by him. I, as you might guess, have thoughts, but I'd like to hear yours first. <laughs> Paul. So my whole thing about him is, <laughs> mm-hmm. sorry about that, had you on mute. Yeah, understandably. Um, yeah. I it was your best contribution my... of, the, of the pod so far. Yeah, yeah, thanks very much. Um, Look, uh, here's what I think is going on with Chaka, and I wrote a whole blog on it. Um, It's all about respect. Um, I think that's culturally how he views the world, and he thinks he's been disrespected. I did read your blog about that on on what was it? um, What's it called, culture? uh, uh, Honor culture, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yep. Uh, You see it in the southern United States. You know it when you see it. It's a very tribal thing it's a it's a very southern states of america thing you don't disrespect me um it's not about the rights and wrongs it's not about uh victimization it's not about all of these things i i think that's our cultural filter it might be a better cultural filter but it's our cultural filter he's all about respect and there's no way of denying he was disrespected um that's why he has never thought he should apologize because they disrespected him. That's his. Now, you don't have to agree that that was the blow by blow, but you can absolutely see why he would think he was disrespected as captain of the club in that situation. Now, you can totally disagree with his um, his assessment of the situation, but fully understand why he would see he was disrespected. And to be honest, I think he was now. He was captain of the club and should have handled it totally differently. I don't think what he did was right or acceptable. I'm not convinced he should keep the captaincy. And I think overall, it's probably a good thing for the club to have found a way to winkle him out of the situation where he started every game and he was the club captain. Um, So although I don't like any aspect of how it all came to pass, it's probably the one thing that has loosened up uh, our lineups so that we can actually start to pick players who should play in their positions. And it's allowed us to have Genduzzi and uh, Torreira as the two pivots um, in a somewhat reasonable performance away to Leicester, though, of course, it ended rather badly in the end. But at least it's some sign of hope. Now, if we would only use Torreira as actually the deeper of the two players and, and allow Genduzzi to be freer upfield... Um, that might be even better, but it's a start. Um, Chaka's comments at the moment, I, I'm afraid, I don't pay it a lot of attention. I see people getting really excited about it and worked up about it. I don't really care. I think they'll work that out among themselves or they won't. Um, and while I could get really upset about it, I I do actually understand where he's coming from, even if I it wouldn't be my take on it. It doesn't get me that upset. Um and so in that sense, I'd hand the back, mic back to you so you can be even more upset about Shaka. Before I get even more about Sha- upset about Shaka, Clive, I want you to weigh, on, weigh in on this because I am going to try to give a more nuanced take than you might expect from someone of my ilk. Okay. Well, right, when he says, um, I can't accept what happened to me, we're all assuming it's probably the booing or whatever. So I actually think it may be the fact that he lost his captaincy. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, fair. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I think it may be that. And I think... He feels disappointed about that. I do think Arsenal are a bit stupid sometimes, you know. The whole it's obvious to me that from middle of last season that Shaka was the was the captain of the club. He was the real leader in the dressing room. Whether he liked his performance or not, that's how he performed. Soon as the season ended, he should have been made club captain. Similar as that. You're club captain. It doesn't mean you play every week. I mean, was club captain one year. Hardly played, didn't he, if I remember right? I think we went like five yeah. years without a club captain playing a game. So it's totally yeah. fine. So, Vermalen was so, club captain. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. was club captain. Koscielny was club captain. And normally within the club, that player is really obvious. It's like such an obvious decision. He's the player that controls things. He's the player that gives people rollicking when they're late for meetings. He's the guy that controls the fines. He's the one that organises the nights out with the players. It's so obvious to everybody in the club. He is the one. It's obvious he is that player. 
But when in you know when the way we see a captain is oh okay he's a captain that means he's going to play every week we're not sure about him let's we don't want him playing every week we want him to be an option not the option and that's where the problem comes miscommunication about what that player means and now within the club that he's obviously liked by the players but this situation is now blown up where we've got a problem now is he going to play another game for us we're not sure maybe he'll play at the weekend. That'll be, that'll be fun. <laughs> Three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. Good luck with that one, right? You better play well. And so now we just, we've just we created this situation, which is all of our own doing due to poor communication and mismanagement of a very, very simple situation. It doesn't need to be this complex, but we're trying so hard to be transparent and collegiate. We've managed to make something small into something massive and another stick to, to beat the club and particularly to beat the manager with. So as a as a player, Shackle, I've always sort of liked him. Well, while knowing his limits, um, I feel he doesn't to reach his full peak. I don't think he's in this league. I think he needs to be in a more of a, a Spanish or Italian league or even the German league, where intensity just a step down. But he has talents that really suit a lot of teams. I just don't think he can play to the intensity continually that's required in the Premier League. And so if Arsenal need to cash in on him again, again, I, I just don't get hung up on players, Elliot. If he needs to go, it's all about how we replace, and, and, and I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, he has to go. I don't think he can ever play for us again. And I, I think that that is now down to the fact that he has made it clear that he can't let this go. And that's fine. He can't let it go. Okay, so be it. Um, You can't trust him on the pitch. You can't trust how the fans will react to him. You can't trust how he'll react to the fans reacting to him. He's unhappy with the manager. I think whatever unhappiness he has with the fans, and it's clear that he has a great amount of it, I think he now feels let down by the coach who stripped him of his captaincy and went right out publicly right after the game where he felt he was wronged by the fans, and the coach said he was in the wrong. And I don't think he expected that, and I think that further wounded him. I don't care that he's wounded. I really couldn't give a flying fuck that he's wounded. Um, Football is a really rough business for the players, for the coaches. It is a high-pressure, high-intensity business. You get booed. You get told to get fuck off. I mean, abuse is never warranted. We've been through this. I do not want to cover again what is beyond the line and what is within the line. But at the end of the day, being a professional athlete is a celebrity business, and being a celebrity comes with costs, and it comes with benefits. And Shaka reaps those benefits. And these are the costs. And he's saying he can't handle them. And I have a problem with that. And you may not, and that is totally fine. But what I will say is he has made it a situation that is untenable. He has chosen to lean into his sense of victimhood, and he has made the situation untenable. And I will point to Mesut Ozil, who has been through a hell of a lot. He's been through a hell of a lot with Germany. He's brought some of it on himself, just like Grant Chaco. The the stuff with Erdogan, the stuff with how he practices, his availability. He's also had some of it foisted upon him, like with Granite Chaka, whether it's with coaches or things like that. At the end of the day, what did he do? He played the social media game. He came in and played like a real professional when he was on the pitch. He kept his head down. He tried to keep the fans on side. Maybe he's just a little more savvy. I don't think he's any harder working than Shaq. Everyone, everyone acknowledges Shaq is the hardest working person on the training pitch possible. But emotionally, his mental makeup, Shaka didn't have it. He didn't have it to be at this level, and it got the best of him. I think Emery deserves some blame here. Shaka was clearly struggling, and he was clearly part of the problem with the team, and the fans were getting frustrated, and Emery just kept putting him out there. Burnley was one of our best games in central midfield in the league. It didn't have Shaka. He brought him right back. Emery trusted Shaka, and to some extent, he let Shaka down by continuing to put him out there when it wasn't working for him. So there's a lot of people to blame here. Maybe the fans own some. Maybe Shaka owns a lot. Maybe Emery owns some. But what Shaka's reaction has shown, the non-apology apology on Instagram that gets printed in the club program, the, the subsequent comments he has made, what he has shown is that he wants to move, and we have to give him that move, and that's the end of it for me. Um, I don't think he is the devil. I just think he's a guy whose mentality at this level of the game, is wrong. He's hot-headed. He's shown that the way he's reacted to things in his international career, in his club career. He's gotten a lot of red cards in his career because of it. You know, he hauls players down. He hacks at them when they're past him. He just, he's hot-headed. And that's fine. You know, again, we can get really worked up about this. We can get really angry. I'm not angry. I'm not. I just just think he's wrong for us, and it's a wrong mentality for an elite sportsman, and, and that's my opinion, and I could be dead wrong, but I don't see how we can trust him going forward, which leads us to the following question now, Paul, and we can kind of end with this with you because I know you have to go. Do you, what do you have, like one yeah. minute? Yeah. So so let me let me just say this to you real quickly. Uh, coming up the weekend, it seems like Genduzzi Torreira picks itself. 
can't pick Shaka. Ceballos is injured. I mean, does this give us pretty much no no choice going into one of our busiest periods, but to just keep picking Ganduzi and Torreira in midfield now? Yeah, and a good shot of getting Ozil on the pitch. Um, Saka may have a bit of a tweak too, so there might be an opportunity on the left wing for we to play Aubameyang there. And I think Pepe's coming back late, so he may not start. So uh, there could be a Martinelli starting here in the front three. But I think the the midfield three, if you want to call it, that may well be Torreira, Ganduzi with Ozil ahead of them, which... You know, should be fun. So, yeah. uh, I mean, if we can get our two fullback wingbacks playing, uh, Bellerin and uh, Tierney, then this could be this could be an interesting game, a, a fun game where the the eleven uh, is picked more by itself than by Emery. He's, he's got to go what he's given, and it, it might turn out to be a good thing for us. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll I'll let you go, Paul. I, I wish I could keep you because I wanted to. Add, we're going to just dive into the Project Thirty Six thing one last time before we say goodbye to yeah. it. But but I know you got to run. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause on my pants. Thanks, man. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. All right, uh, Clive. So Project Thirty Six was a run of twelve games that we identified as being a really good run where we could make a move up the table. We are. It was twelve games, thirty six points. We did a prediction thing over on Patreon, you know, kind of a contest to win a shirt and all that. And people sort of said 22 points would be a disaster. 26 points would be about par. We could pick up 30 points on this run of 36 or 28 points, and that would be huge. What we have done through eight of the 12 games is take 10 points. 10 of a possible 24 points. Um, It's bad. It's really bad, obviously. Having said that, there are four games now where we will be a big favorite, if we could ever be a favorite in a game at this point, in all four. Um, this Southampton game is obviously a must-win. I think all of these next four are a must-win. For you, um, what do you think of this run of, of four games? Is there a chance for Arsenal to go into the holiday program back on a little bit of stable footing, if we can take advantage of this here? L- let me read them out just real quick, because people may not have them committed to memory. So it's... Southampton at home, um, then obviously we've got midweek Europa League. Norwich away, and they've been in a tailspin. Brighton at home, no bad memories there from last season. And West Ham away. And and that that would be the end of this 12-game run. Uh, and the only time we have a midweek game during that period is the, the Frankfurt game midweek this coming week. So how important is, is this run for us to have any chance to sort of salvage a top-four run this season, whether it's with Emery or someone else? I think it's I think it's absolutely massive. I don't think if we don't get a good return that Emery will survive it. I really don't. I know we didn't beat Brighton last year and I don't think I think we lost at West Ham. Speaking, speaking last of Granite Shaka, well. by the way, I mean that the Brighton game was the Shaka penalty that cost us a one goal lead, finished one yeah. one and we lost top four. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, um that was massive, a massive game. And so I don't. I don't see any game as easy at the moment. I really don't. So if I'm the coach, just try to bring, just build on Leicester. Don't change it too much. Change the personnel, but keep the shape. Build on something. Give people some stability and something to look at. I really think it's important that we do that. So we're developing a pairing in the midfield. We've obviously got a couple of wing backs that are now ready to go. We can pick any three centre half as long as Luis is in the middle. We're we're going to be okay ish. You know, our keepers will have been one of the uh, the plus points this year. And let's go with two strikers all the time. Go with two strikers. You know, make sure they play together and have and have Ozil in behind them. And just you know, Pepe comes on for one of the three. It doesn't matter which one because he can do the Ozil role. He can do the striker role. So just make sure that what no. Three of those four are playing at all times, you know. So, and and just go and go with that. And I think we'll be absolutely fine if we go with that. Don't complicate things. Stop looking at Southampton's away record, which I heard him say in the press this week. Stop bringing in fear factors which which don't need to be brought in. Just remind everybody what we've got and start to just you know start to outpress, outwork, outplay teams again, because that's what we need to do. And if we don't. I, I, you know, it's it's a pretty depressing place at the moment, also at the moment. And 
if this goes any worse than this, I think we are in the caretaker mode over Christmas. I think um, yeah. we will look for a caretaker and then we'll be looking at new major in the summer where we can decide from position of strength. We can pick the ones that we want. I think it's a critical time for the club, not just for positioning the league, but for positioning full stop. We are becoming a irrelevant club. And it pains me to say that, but that's how it feels. You know, it, we it, need to shape this up. It is easy to measure yourself by best case scenarios. It is so easy to measure a coach when things are going right and measure a club when things are going right. The measure of Raul, the measure of Adu, and the measure of Emery, the measure of these people is when it's going poorly. How they thread the needle, how they get themselves out Absolutely. of it. You know, we compare ourselves with Liverpool a lot, and I'm sorry, but the reason we do it is it's a similar size club that was in a bad spot and got themselves back. Look at how they threaded the needle. They they lost Raheem Sterling. They lost Luis Suarez. They almost lost him to us, maybe, but no, they navigated that well. They got another season out of him and then sold him for a windfall to Barcelona. They navigated difficult situations. They found a way to get Klopp in. They found a way to get the right players at the right time, at the right age. You know, if 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 Sadio Mane had come to Arsenal, would he have been pepped by Emery? You know what I mean? Klopp found a way to use him and turn him into one of the best players in the world. And my, my, my point is, these are the hard times and this is what you're measured by. And so it's all on the line now. Aubameyang could be gone. Do we give him a windfall contract that ties him to us through his, his declining years? Do we sell him for a windfall? The hard decisions have to be made. And the first one is about Emery. I want to read something to you, Clive. After that West Ham game, that's the end of Project 36, our easiest run of the season. I want you to hear what's coming for us in the subsequent 12 games leading through February and the return of the Europa League knockout rounds. Man City, Everton away, Bournemouth away, Chelsea, United, Palace away, Sheffield, Chelsea away, Burnley away, Newcastle, Everton, City away. Let me say it again in reverse. City away, Everton, Newcastle, Burnley away, Chelsea away, Sheffield, Palace away, United, Chelsea, Bournemouth away, Everton away, City it is a brutal stretch of 12 games. Every single one of them, bar maybe Newcastle at home and the way we're playing, who knows. Every single one of them is a losable game. All of them. I mean, Sheffield Sheffield at home, maybe not. Newcastle at home, maybe not. But Burnley away, Palace away. Well, those Sheffield are games right, have not been beaten away no. from home yet. Okay, so there you They've go. So, so there you go. I mean, every single so. one of those games can be points dropped. And let's not forget that some of those, like Chelsea and United, we play those games in three days, the 29th and the 1st. Okay, um, you know, this is this next 12 games. If we had the best manager, if we had Klopp or Pep, you'd look at that 12 games and say, God, I'd, I'd probably take 18 points from that. I'd probably take 20 points from that. We are at 10 from our last 24. So even if we max points the next four games, which I, I struggle to see us doing, but even if we do, we're going to be 22 for these last 36. That's not good enough. And now we have a run of 12 games that makes that look like, it. I mean, a walk in the park, which it was. So, Clive, I mean, this this is critical because if we don't solve this problem, and in my opinion, the way you solve it is you remove the manager, could you see a situation where those subsequent 12 games go so poorly that the club is digging itself out of a, a hole that makes the Arsene Wenger, the end of the Arsene Wenger period look like uh, party time? <laughs> that, that could easily happen. And this is why Saturday is really important because we need to build confidence because none of those games feel easy because we've not won hardly any games with a level of confidence and pizzazz and flow, nothing. So we're just edging games to take one of your lines and none of it feels good. And I think it's important that we just we get the feel-good factor back. The only way to do that from a football point of view is get some stability in selection and some stability in system and build from there. Make sure you secure your back door, but make sure you have players on the pitch that can secure you and, and offensively as well and make sure they're in the right places. It's a very simple thing to say, but for a coach like Emery, who's a bit of an overcoacher, this is my big worry for the weekend, that we're going to see another change in system when we don't need to. And we just need to get that simplicity and simple simple decisions in. I totally agree with you about the the, the board, etc. This is the point when they have to earn their money in adversity, and we're not seeing anything yet. But then I'm thinking, well, you know what? You may have a strategy. You may know what you're doing. I have to trust you, even though I've not really heard much. 
I have to wait till the football starts again to see what it looks like because that's where everything gets judged on the football pitch. For me, I think potentially Arsenal will have a caretaker lined up. Um, it seems pretty obvious to me, and they're thinking maybe how they can support that player person until the summer, and then we look again. That's a very quick move to make. It's not difficult if you're prepared. I don't think the managers that I would like to see are available, but we're we're heading towards that part of the season where we're going to find out very quickly where we have games in quick succession and the table really starts to form itself and your ambition is solidified. We will know, Elliot, in three, four weeks, as you allude to, exactly what we're about and exactly what our competitors are doing and where their confidence levels are. And our competitive landscape at the moment, we look we look nearly the worst ones of all. And the one that was worse, the main night the Spurs are supposedly worse than us. Well, main night are refining their confidence with Martial back in the team. And Spurs have just got a fifteen million pound year major and all and all the lift that comes with that. So we need to shape up, mate. Otherwise, uh, it's not it's not going to be a good Christmas, Arsenal-wise. No, it's, you know, and look, I want to be clear. Like, I, I don't want this to all be doom and gloom. I want to laugh. I want to have fun. And I mean, you know what would be great? It'd be great if we went out and won five or six nil at the weekend. It wouldn't mean that Emery should stay, and it wouldn't mean that everything's right. But it would be fun. We, I you know, I put on Twitter the other day, Clive, what's the last good, flowing, awesome move that led to a goal for Arsenal? I think we had a nice little Ozil through ball to... To who was it on the right that slid it across to Oba against Watford? Was it Maitland-Niles? Was it Maitland-Niles? Yeah, no, that's a nice little goal. But, like, you know, that's the funny thing. Sometimes all it takes in football to lift you is just a goal where you go, wow, that's a goal of the year it candidate. Or, it doesn't take it much. Doesn't we haven't had much. it. I mean, I, I think mean, back to Leicester and Fulham last season. Leicester and Fulham. I mean, we're talking first half of last season to think of a really nice flowing team move that led to a goal that got you off your seat and really excited you. And, like, it just... This just needs to get more fun. It, that I mean, it, I know that's sort of a reductive way of looking at it, but isn't that really what it boils down to? This should be fun. It, it should be. I mean, it should be something that you look forward to, and it doesn't feel like that. So there's a couple of games that stand out for me. Valencia away, I, I love that game. I loved everything about it. Mm. I loved that game. And I loved the Villa at home game. You know, I really enjoyed that game, the way we played, the adversity we, we recovered from. It's there. It's there within the team, but it feels like it's suppressed. You know, I did a little tweet the other day talking about all our players and which ones do you think would go to a better club right now. And there wasn't many you know, people who said, oh, Clive, he's down the manager, blah, blah, blah. But people tried to respond to it by saying, you know, maybe, maybe half a dozen would go to a better club. But then I do think form and confidence play a big part in, in the player's output. And that, that sounds like an obvious thing to say, but if ever a team needs form and confidence, it's us. I'm not sure where the confidence has gone, but, but I'm not sure this major, if that's his thing. I don't think he's a confidence builder. I just think he's a, a tactical coach that looks at too much detail. And when you look at detail, you can't help but tell people about that detail. That detail can sometimes be received in a negative way. You have to remind people who they are, what they do well, and show them. I'd love to see his video sessions. I wonder if he's showing a player when he had his last good game. This is what you do when you're good. This is what you do when you're on top form. This is how your body shape is when you receive it, when you score. And remind people of what they do well. We need a bit of that after the moment. All of us. We need the fans to be better. We need everyone to be better none of us are performing well at the moment and that's why I'm a little bit broken so I don't think this coach is a person that does that I just think he's naturally cautious and naturally um, what's the pessimistic that's what mm, I'm looking for yeah. naturally pessimistic because that's why, how he sees his job this club needs an optimist and we haven't got one no well said well I, I hate to leave it on a down note but you know what Arsenal can lift us at the weekend that would be nice uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC thanks Clive thank you very much uh, my name is Alex Smith the Blackman on Twitter at Yankee Gunner we really appreciate you being here with us I, I look I will endeavor to lighten the mood personally if possible uh, I, I hope that there is good fun stuff to chat about I, I tried to shit on Spurs in this podcast but both Clive and Paul decided to defend the Jose hiring so I can only can only work with what I'm given here folks but uh, you know what at least it's interesting. May you live in interesting times, I think, is the uh, the old the proverb um, and the curse. So we have that going for us, which is good. 
in any event, uh, you know, if you want to sign up for Patreon, we've got some good stuff going on there, and we'll announce on Monday the uh, the fun sort of contest we have for the athletic sign-up. Until then, you can use theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. In any event, wherever you are, I hope you are doing well. I hope you are healthy and happy. Um, there's a lot in the world that can bring you down right now, but uh, we are all here for one another, and that is a good thing. In any event, uh, we will talk to you after, hopefully, Arsenal 10, Southampton News. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.